Nothing new on Twitter about Shohei Otani, so we will proceed as planned with the Smart Speakers segment. Joining me today, Genevieve Tomney is principal at GT and Company. Bruce Arthur is a Toronto Star columnist. And Aaron Morrison's a longtime political strategist, now principal at Morrison Communications. Bruce, you're a sports guy. Are you excited? Do you think Shohei Otani was on this plane, which landed about 10 minutes ago at Pearson Airport? Mark, I can't see you through all the smoke because there's a whole lot of it. Um, I will say this. the first, there, Someone has reported already that Shohei Otani has chosen the Jays. Uh, he's a writer for the Dodgers Nation blog. But I will say this. Uh, he's only been the writers for the Dodgers Nation blog for like a few weeks. Because before that, for the 10 years before that, he worked for the Orange County Register an actual newspaper in Southern California. I've been told by people I know there that like, this is a guy who was at Dodger Stadium every day. He has connections to the franchise. He cited multiple sources and he reported this several hours ago. Now, John Morosi uh, of Fox Sports reported that Shohei Otani was en route to Toronto today. Everyone's been tracking one private plane that left from John Wayne Airport in Southern California and just landed at Pearson. So the traffic is going to be perfect, by the way. Um, this looks like it could happen. I don't know that it will. And nothing's done until it's done. But this would be the biggest free agent signing in Toronto. You have to go a long ways back to kind of the early Jays, uh, to like your Roger Clemens time. But I think this is probably bigger than that because this guy pitches like Roger Clemens and hits a little bit like Barry Bonds. Genevieve, Tommy, is it a big enough story to get you excited about this? Yeah, well, I hate having to follow up the sports guru on the program, but <laughs> what I will say is, I mean, I, of course, everybody's seen the comparisons out there to Kawhi, and, you know, I am so all for big names in sports coming to Toronto, bringing in superstars, you know, really making a run for the championship and getting people excited. But I, I couldn't help but think it's probably not the last time that we're going to be on plane watch uh, with this particular player. Like in a couple of years, are we going to be doing another will he, won't he stay, <laughs> resign? I think it's great news, but I, I always take it a bit with a grain of salt. Aaron Morrison, uh, this is a big story in Toronto. We were talking with Matt Cause from TSN just a few minutes ago, and he says we need to treat Shohei Otani like a baby deer. He's skittish. We have to make no sudden moves. So Torontonians need to be on their best behavior and respectful of his distance. Don't you think that's kind of how we behave pretty much all of the time with superstars? Absolutely. And it is time to pull out all the stops, Toronto. I mean, that that drive from Pearson to Rogers Stadium is not going to work in our favor. I'm a little worried about that at rush hour on a Friday. But let's offer him like a lifetime TTC pass. Let's get him like skip the line tickets for the distillery district's holiday market. Like let's get a yes from Shohei today. Uh, Bruce, do you think we get William Nylander to uh, sort of give Shohei the ropes, uh, like teach him how to use the TTC? Not until he has re-signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So ah, I think. Like, the, 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 what's going to be really interesting is if, from a sports perspective, if the Jays do this, they were competing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers are one of the two richest franchises in baseball, along with the Yankees. Um, you are going to be looking at a deal, I would expect, that's probably worth half a billion dollars U.S. Now, that would be something like $680 million Canadian if it was 500 This is going to be the biggest contract ever signed 
in Canadian sports history and possibly in North American sports history. And until it is, I think we should all be very careful. But I, I think it'll be interesting to see what Shohei Otani does with his leverage because he will have all the leverage coming into this and will be able to, I would presume, dictate the terms of this contract anyway. He's, he's fit. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And if you're listening to us right now, driving on the 427 of the Gardner Expressway, just stop. Just pull off. Get off the highway. It's time to welcome this man. If he is there, just in case he's here, everybody pull over and stop and, and let him come through so that, you know, we give him a, a hero's welcome. Uh, and let's hope that he doesn't try to take the Edmonton Crosstown because that is not going anywhere anytime soon. Phil Verster, the uh, CEO of uh, Metrolinx, gave us an update uh, today in which he said almost uh, nothing. Uh, let's start uh, with you, Genevieve Tomney. Here was his answer when asked. Asked, uh, you know, when will you know when you know? Uh, and he basically told us, uh, you know, well, we'll give you some warning ahead of time. And we will declare a date once we are through the period of testing and uncertainty we are now and we are three months away from opening. We own this place. If I was on the uh, board of directors, and apparently that's the answer he gave the Metrolinx board of directors, he's been getting, not just him, but Metrolinx has been getting billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars probably every month for this, and they're not even willing to tell the owners when they might be able to stop giving them money for something that may or may not ever appear. He doesn't even know what year it will open. I don't think that's a good enough answer. Do you? No. And I mean, on the one hand, you got to hand it to Phil Verster for having the inner fortitude to keep putting himself out there and saying literally nothing to the people of Toronto about the progress on this project and when things are going to happen. Um, but at a certain point, you know, that's it's it's simply not good enough. And I think, you know, it's given a real cause for rethinking the way we put these projects together, the way that we, um, you know, socialize timelines to begin with. I think that there are a lot of reasons why this is as late as it has been that are technical reasons. But I think it's also that we are not truthful um, when, when governments start to, you know, talk about how long these things are going to take because everybody is trying to do what's politically expedient. And I don't think that we're, we're necessarily being honest. Aaron Morrison, you're a political strategist. I mean, to me, this seems like the time and place for a political decision. Somebody needs to shake the tree a little bit and express the the dissatisfaction of, uh, you know, everyone. And I, I think, you know, a strategic firing might be in place. What does the Minister of Transportation have to do at this point? Yeah, the Minister of Transportation and the Premier have to do the exact opposite of what they did in September when they gave Phil Verster a new contract. They invited him to stay. They gave him a massive salary to stick around despite this absolute debacle. Um, I'm, I am shocked that they renewed his contract and kept him around when not only is the uh, Eglinton Crosstown not on the rails, pun intended, it is... It is also his choice to tell the board and the public 
basically, I'm not telling you anything, so sorry. I am sick of hearing his apologies. Um, not only do I want the Eglinton Crosstown on the rails and running as soon as possible, but I want to see businesses uh, that have been impacted by this never-ending construction to be reimbursed for how much they have lost. And that includes the businesses in Little Jamaica, some of which have had to literally shut down because of this disruption. Um, and I want to shout out Toronto St. Paul's MPP Jill Andrew, who's been fighting that fight. And I also want this province's obsession with public-private partnerships to be well and truly dead. This uh, this whole debacle is because of a P3, I think. There, it's a type of privatization that essentially is like renting instead of buying. Governments love it because it sort of keeps the uh, mortgage for a big project off their books. But ultimately, it ends up costing more. We have no control over the project. And it results in exactly what we're seeing, which is Phil, Phil Verster standing up and saying, sorry, I really have no control over what's happening here. I'll let you know when I know more. Uh, it's just it's just shameful. And it's and it's uh, we're past words. We need to see some action here. Bruce Arthur, I got about 45 seconds. I'll give you the last word. Thank you, Aaron, on P3s. Thank you. And amen. Here's the thing I think about here is it's not that they don't it's not like they're hiding um, a, like an established date as to when this thing will open. They genuinely don't know. You know what else was a P3, by the way? The LRT in Ottawa. Ask anybody in Ottawa how that's going, and you will get a... Sh like, here's the thing. This thing might open, and we don't know what happens next. It's not like it's going to open and definitely going to work. Public-private partnerships are a way of governments to abdicate real spending and real investments, and we're starting to see that they are not necessarily the way you should do things. Ooh, a tough words on public-private partnerships. I think they have a place, but that's a story for another day, um, because clearly this one is not doing what it was intended to do. There is no doubt about that. I won't argue. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be back with more of our smart speakers, Genevieve Tomney, Bruce Arthur, and Aaron Morrison, and we'll talk about cell phone bans in schools and Rob Ford football stadium. Who doesn't love that idea? My name is uh, Mark Tui, in for Rush Minera. You're listening to The Rush on News Talk 1010. Welcome back. Mark Tui in for Rush Minera today. We're in the midst of our smart speakers segment. Genevieve Tomney, principal of GTN Company, Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star columnist, and Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and principal now at Morrison Communications, joins us. Uh, Bruce, before we get back into that, we are hearing from people who have no particular reason to know, but have lots of followers on Twitter, that there may or may not be, I think that covers all the bases, a press conference held by the Blue Jays sometime around 6 p.m. Have you been invited to a press conference at 6 p.m.? Because you might be. No. It has not been sent out at the moment. I mean, it's possible that it's happening. The timing would be about right. It would take about an hour and a half to get from Pearson to, to, to the dome uh, in the in the traffic right now. What is happening on Twitter, I want people to be really careful. People are a, a bunch of blue check, usually baseball blog accounts are tweeting out what purports to be a video of Shohei Otani arriving in Toronto, mm -hmm. which since it was posted by a different low follower blue check account an hour and a half ago claiming he was in LA and since it's still bright in the in the video how gullible do you guys have to be? He might be here, but that is not him arriving in Toronto. Come on. Well, if you're in Los Angeles, you might not know it gets dark here early in the wintertime. Uh, would they take him downtown or would they do a meeting and a discussion at an airport hotel? 
No, if you're going to do a, this kind of press conference, you want it in your building, you want it with your backdrops, you want it under your control, because this will be the biggest, honestly, the biggest single move for the Blue Jays since they traded for Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar, and it is a different world than it was back then. So they can take the time to get down here. Maybe they'll have a helicopter. Oh, that would be exciting. <laughs> we can track the helicopter on the flight radar. Uh, Aaron Morrison, let's uh, start with you on this one. The uh, chair of the Toronto District School Board was talking with uh, John Moore uh, this morning on uh, Moore in the Morning about uh, a motion that she's bringing before the board to ask an, a, a committee to, uh, to try to address the problem she says they're having in classrooms with cell phones and kids using them and the distractions they're causing and the fact that whatever policies they have on the board, they're not working uh, now. And so she wants a new one. What I'm asking is that the committee approve the creation of a cell phone policy um, slash mobile, you know, personal mobile use policy. So we don't know what that is. She doesn't know what that would be, but she wants somebody to look into it, come back with recommendations, and then the committee can sort of say yay or nay, and it would, I guess, go to the board. Uh, is there a problem? And if you were a parent of a kid and you've bought them a $1,200 cell phone, uh, do you want them to have it with them? Aaron Morrison, let's go with you. Yeah, so that's a really good question. I. This has been tried in school boards all over North America, all over Canada, and often these bans get overturned. Um, and often, interestingly, I think it's because parents complain uh, because they want to be able to reach their child in an emergency. So I think there's a wealth of research that um, the board and the government can look into uh, to dig into this. Personally, I want to hear from parents and teachers and how they're feeling. Overall, uh, studies show that cell phone bans in school lead to higher grades and better learning outcomes. And I also think better mental health outcomes are starting to show in these studies. They really show that, um, you know, students not being able to make videos of each other or send each other's messages, you know, the kinds of things that uh, sadly too often lead to bullying and harassment or even just sort of unkind behavior. Um, this caps some of that. Uh, so so generally I support it, but I think the experience we've, we've got from other boards uh, and other school divisions is, you can't just, you know, write this off the back of a napkin. You really have to be thoughtful about it. Consult parents, consult teachers, uh, and, and approach it in sort of a thoughtful and slow way. Genevieve Tomney, is it uh, that complicated and fine and nuanced, or could uh, schools just say no, no phones? Well, I'm, I'm learning that it is. Uh, I'm a parent. I have little kids, so I'm kind of on the side of it where, you know, my eight-year-old is starting to have the conversation with me about when am I going to get one. And at our school, um, there's been a big push by a number of the parents to uh, extend that time without a cell phone until the children are in grade eight. And um, that's really because of a lot of the things that Aaron talked about. You know, um, there was a report from the United Nations over the summer that recommended a universal ban of cell phones in schools because they have such a negative effect, not just on, on the mental health and the self-esteem, um, but also on, on academic performance. They are a distraction. Teachers talk about kids 
kids taking these, you know, ridiculously long 30 minute bathroom breaks because they need to be on their phones so badly. I'm really in favor of working with each school community to, to, to come up with an age because I think it's easier for the kids if everybody's kind of having access to that technology at the same time. So I think that, you know, there should be parameters on it. I don't know that a blanket ban is the right solution. Bruce Arthur, uh, unless you're really strongly opined about cell phones, I'd like to pivot to the Rob Ford football stadium. Uh, news out of uh, City Hall that uh, Mayor Olivia Chow supports a motion put forward by councillors Paul Ainsley, who had a falling out with Rob Ford when he was a mayor, and Shelley Carroll, who was an opponent uh, most of the time of the mayor when he was uh, then mayor, uh, have moved forward a, a, an opponent... Or, uh, a proposal to rename the Centennial Park football stadium in what was uh, Ford's old riding or his old ward uh, to be the Rob Ford football stadium. Some people will uh, think that that is inappropriate. Others think that it's uh, fair play. Uh, I like the idea. Where do you stand on it? Okay, on cell phones, by the way, talk to a teacher for five minutes and you'll understand that cell phones shouldn't be allowed in classrooms. Whatever parents think, I can understand the United States where there's more of a threat of mass shootings. You'd want your kids to have cell phones. That's maybe a separate conversation than Canada. In terms of naming a, a football stadium after Rob Ford, I, I, I mean, I, Mark, you're not going to like this. I know. That's why I, I, I started with terrible, you. <laughs> I think he was a terrible mayor. I think he was a really bad mayor for the fabric of this city, for the future of this city. He was a damaging mayor, both in substance and policy, and in terms of how City Hall was viewed around the world. I wouldn't rename a thing after him. If you're going to name something after Rob, then make it a football stadium. That's fine because he was a, an, a, he was a really enthusiastic high school football player, as was his brother, Doug, and they like, Rob was an offensive lineman. Doug was a was a running back, I believe. Um, and that's I mean, if you're going to do that, that's fine. It's baffling to me, though, that that's the bar in this city for naming something after a mayor that we've had. Like, I just that that that, that really surprised me. Genevieve, Tommy, you only got about 30 seconds for you because I want to get a 30 second uh, response from Aaron as well. Uh, good move or bad move by city council to approve this? The argument that I've heard is that, well, we do this for every mayor. Um, and for me, that's simply not good enough. I, I don't see um, a legacy that Toronto would want to necessarily celebrate there. And, and if I were voting, I'd vote against it. And Aaron, your, loss, your thoughts. You got uh, 30 seconds. I agree with Jen and Bruce. The bar is just too low here. Um, but I will say uh, good on Mayor Olivia Chow for being the ultimate bridge builder uh, and not um, not taking the bait on this and deciding to be the spoiler at City Hall, because um, ultimately it doesn't really hurt anyone and there's a lot bigger fish to fry there. Thank you, Aaron Morrison, Bruce Arthur and Genevieve Tommy. I appreciate getting your words on the record. I had my say earlier and we'll open it up to calls a little bit later in the program, but I think it's important to hear all different perspectives on this one because it's our city, so we should talk. Uh, my name is Mark Tui. This is The Rush. You're listening to News Talk 1010. We'll be back after the news in just a moment.